the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 18th. Three single semifinals down, one to go at the 2021 Australian Open. We know the two players that will be competing for the right to be named the women's singles champion. It's going to be Naomi Osaka taking on Jennifer Brady. Of course, all of us got to enjoy those two facing off head-to-head in the 2020 U.S. Open semifinals. Was a three-set match on that occasion. All of us, of course, can only hope for a similar quality match in Saturday night's final here on the East Coast. We also know half of our men's singles final. Not a shock to anyone. Novak Djokovic advancing for the chance to win, I believe, his ninth Australian Open singles title. A crazy number to say out loud. But, of course, he advanced in straight sets yesterday and awaits the winner of tonight's Daniil medvedev Stefano Tsitsipas showdown. On today's podcast, I want to recap the three semifinals battles we saw last night. Take a deep dive into the statistics from those matches also want to preview tonight's Medvedev Tsitsipas battle uh, and of course do a little bit more throughout the course of the podcast but the reason I'm able to do that day in day out here on the mini break podcast the reason we are able to do everything we do here at Cracked Rackets is of course because of the tremendous support we get from all of you listeners all that we get from our Patreon family and of course the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports if you have any equipment updates you need for your own tennis game, just go to MidwestSports.com. You use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. That promo code is CR15. With that in mind, also just going to be me steering the ship here today. Have a very fun guest in store for tomorrow's mini break podcast. You all often hear me refer to statistics. I get from the tennis database, Tennis Abstract. Well, the founder of Tennis Abstract, Jeff Sackman, going to be joining me tomorrow to talk a little bit about tennis and analytics, some of the big stats he has noticed looking at this 2021 Australian Open. Should be a fantastic podcast. Haven't recorded it yet, so I'm just assuming, uh, I mean, anyone who can create a resource like Tennis Abstract is a fascinating human being. So hopefully, again, very much looking forward to getting all that podcast out to all of you listeners tomorrow. With that in mind, let's talk about these Australian Open matches we saw yesterday. And let's start with the headline match. Naomi Osaka advancing in straight sets, earning her third win in four tries over Serena Williams. This time she knocks off Williams. 6-3-6-4 to advance to her fourth Grand Slam. Slam final worth noting Naomi Osaka currently 3 and 0 in her first 3 Grand Slam final champ uh, chances worth noting as well she wins the 2018 US Open then wins the 2019 Australian Open she wins the 2020 US Open now finds herself in the final of the 2021 Australian Open for Naomi Osaka it starts as it always does with her serve I mean, she is the first women's player in history, in my opinion, to approach the Serena Williams category of the elite of the elite as a server. And the numbers back it up. You look for Naomi Osaka during her now 20-match win streak. She's won uh, 78.5% of her first serve points for her career. Serena Williams is at a 74.4% win percentage on her first serve points. So the numbers say it, and the eye test says it as well. Naomi Osaka, everything she does on the court is set up by the success she has 
with her first serve. And, you know, that was the case last night. She goes 23 of 27, 85% win percentage on her first serve. When she played plus 110, as simply put, the point was over. And the problem for Osaka last night was that she could only make 45% of her first serves. And look, when Serena was able to play first strike or get the point at a minimum back to neutral with her return of serve, she was right there with Osaka. She can apply heavy pace, you know, around the court. She kept Osaka moving to the outer thirds, but, you know, whenever Osaka had time to set her feet, change direction on Serena, or play a plus one shot, whether it be her return of serve on the Serena second serve, Serena only 12 of 27 in the match, Osaka 16 of 33 on her own second serve, but, you know, when Osaka had the time to dictate and she had more time than Serena did, she just was able to pressure Serena. She sent pace to the Serena forehand, and Serena's forehand sprayed a lot in this match. You look overall, Naomi Osaka, 20 winners against 21 unforced errors, which isn't great, but Serena, only 12 winners against 24 unforced errors. Serena only made 46% of her first serves, and that's just not good enough anymore for her when she's playing someone the quality of Naomi Osaka. And you look overall in the match, she was 27 of 50 in service points. So essentially, her serving points were toss-ups, and that's just because Osaka, particularly on the backhand side, does such a good job of absorbing pace, limiting her backswing, taking that ball early, changing directions with it. Obviously, the headline game, she throws in two double faults and, and two unforced errors to get broken for four all in the second set. She immediately comes back, breaks Serena at love, hits three ba- or hits three backhand winners, two of them cross court, one of them down the line within the game to get the break for 5-4 then holds out at love I mean it was a great she may not have broken at love 4-5-4 but she certainly held out at love to win the match and that's what a Grand Slam champion, that's what one of the game's greats is able to do. That's exactly what Naomi Osaka does. A little bit of a slip-up, but she bounced right back. I mean, again, the way she opens up the court with that back end. And then I think quietly, I really enjoy the way she hits a down-the-line forehand because she's got that big backswing, right? So you think whenever she's moving around the ball, it's to hit inside out or that if you jam her with pace, she's not going to be able to go down the line with that forehand, but she is able to do it. And she holds on to the trigger just long enough to get her opponent, in this case Serena, to anticipate moving one way, and then she'll go down the line, or she'll go inside out and keep, you know, catch them guessing, and I just think she does a really good job of, again, taking time away from her opponents, keeping them off rhythm. The serve is the thing that sets up everything else she does, and you know, she was a prohibitive favorite, in my opinion, at least I think I expressed as much on this podcast entering this Australian Open. She's the best player in the women's game on a hard court. When she plays her best tennis, she can just hit a zone between her movement, the power of her ground strokes, her ability to play, you know, on top of the baseline and still be aggressive. Uh, She can hit a gear that no other women's player can right now. And so, you know, again, for Serena... She didn't play her best tennis. The forehand absolutely sprayed on her. You could tell she was getting frustrating as well. Only 13 of 60 on return or on receiving points, I think, during the course of the match. That's just that that number's not right, by the way. That can't be right because she won 17 points alone on second serve points. But that's just not good enough. That's just not good enough against against anyone, but particularly against Naomi Osaka. And the fact that Osaka was six feet closer to the baseline than Sabalenka and subsequently took away, you know, 
two more seconds in the Serena movement than she had available to her when she was playing Sabalenka, that made all the difference because it was a Serena on the stretch instead of a Serena, you know, uh, able to set her feet and Osaka did a really good job of changing directions on Serena and you know look I don't want to wade into the is she retiring what did the emotions she had after the match in the post-match press conference mean because I don't know and we've all can agree Serena Williams has earned the right to do whatever she wants to do for the rest or with the rest of her tennis career but this match had to do with Osaka. Osaka was the better player on the court from start to finish, and I think the scoreline reflects that fact. She went down to love in just the sloppiest first two games of the match and immediately bounced back. She handed the break back for four all, immediately got that back. She's on a mission, and it's not going to surprise me tomorrow uh, at all if tomorrow or two days or whenever you're listening to this, she goes and captures her fourth Grand Slam title, although she will absolutely have a battle on her hands as she faces a rematch against Jennifer Brady, Jennifer Brady advancing to her first Grand Slam final, the former number two and three singles player for the UCLA Bruins, advancing with a 6-4, victory over Carolina Mukva. The reason I throw in that UCLA stat, it's just amazing how far Jennifer Brady's game has come. Her serve, her forehand, her power, they're elite in the women's game and just you know the dynamic her her forehand so dynamic so heavy and you know it just produced so many shank errors in this match from Mukova disrupted the Mukova timing so much and look Jennifer Brady made a bunch of unforced errors in this match you look during the course of it Brady 21 uh excuse me 20 winners against 38 unforced errors there were times when you know, I think if you did this advanced statistics, I doubt a ra- you know, there may have been five rallies. Let's see, rally analysis. I think that may have the numbers. It does. Of the matches, uh, of the points in this match, only 17 of the 163 points were featured shots or, or rallies over nine balls, meaning in only 17 of the, again, 163. So about 10% of the rallies it, did each player hit more than four balls. And... Yeah, the quality of play reflected it. You look at it overall, 111 of the 163 were four shots or fewer. It was a lot of plus one tennis. It was a lot of big Brady serves then forehands, and she either made the plus one forehand then was able to put the ball away either on that shot or the next one, or she produced an error on that shot. And I think the 30 unforced errors is ref- 38 unforced errors, excuse me, is reflective of that fact. Now Mukova did a great job of absorbing the Brady pace, of moving the ball around the court, of jamming Brady Brady's body with her serve, so she couldn't get clean cuts at the ball. Uh, but this match was very much like the Barty match. It was very broken tennis. Neither player was able to really find their rhythm throughout the course of the match. And again, for Jen Brady, it's the fact that. She did make, you know, just enough, you know, 50% of her first serve, won 69% of those points, 58% of her second serve points, was able to convert all three of her break chances, which was just enough for her to get over the hump against Mukova. You look at the total points in this match, Mukova 183, Brady 180. This was absolutely a pick and it sucked that the highest quality game of the match by far was the final service game of Jennifer Brady, where both players had multiple game point chances. And, you know, for Mukova, she missed a couple of second serve returns in the net that you know she wants back more than anything. But that's what decided the match. It was sloppy. It really was. And again, Mukova does a really good job of moving the ball around the court, of absorbing the Brady pace. And she's a really good mover herself. But 
Brady had the bigger weapons, and in a broken match, Brady was able to find more pathways to easy points than Carolina Mukova. Although, of course, it's worth noting for Carolina Mukova with this result, she now jumps all the way up, I want to say, to number 22 in the live rankings. That's one off her career high of 21. Of course, Jen Brady now at number 13 in the live rankings. That's a new career high with this result. Uh, but Mukova is certainly a top 20 player. This, you know, again, pick a name out of a hat. Any of the 25 and under talents can make this sort of run. This Australian Open, it was Mukova. And it's because she's got a really well, uh, well-rounded well game. She's someone who, again, can do a bunch of different things to her opponents. And she's going to be in every match she plays, whether it's against power players, whether it's against grinders. And so I think her game style translates really well moving forward. Only 24 years old, so not going to shock me if we see her in another Grand Slam uh semifinal at some point of her career in singles. But again, a lot of this match has to do with Jen Brady. That serve, that forehand, they're the real deal. She played better in the big moments. She you know, was able to hold down the stretch, and it's very easy to go up a set in 5-4 against anyone. The hardest thing to do in tennis is to win that final point. She was able to do it. She makes a Grand Slam final now, and again, it should be really, really exciting match between her and Osaka. We will save that preview for tomorrow's podcast with Jeff. Let's move to our final semifinal match. And again, I'm going to try and keep today's podcast on the shorter side. Of course, if you want to hear my expanded picks for tomorrow's matches, go check out our GSP ace of the day. But Djokovic, straight set win for him over Aslan Karatsev, ending Karatsev's run in the semifinals with a 6-3, 6-4, 6-2 victory. Now, Djokovic was up, I want to say, 5-2 in the final of the, uh, or in the second set, but Karatsev was able to get one of the breaks back, almost got them both back before Djokovic was able to hold to close out that set 6-4. But, you know, I got a lot of 1990s, late 90s, early 2000s game style from Karatsev. I get the Safin comparisons and just, you know, the way he stands on that baseline, takes the ball early, has these shortened back swings, and everything's just so smooth. It's, it reminds me of like a Moya, Sampras, honestly, Jill Simone in a 2000s body sort of game style. And, you know, Karatsev was really good. He made 24 winners against 34 unforced errors. Only made 52% of his serves, uh, first serves, but won 65% of those points. The problem is he was playing Novak freaking Djokovic. And, you know, Karatsev played really good chess or really good checkers this entire, uh, whatever the metaphor is. He was playing chess. Djokovic was playing checkers. It's just Djokovic, 68% on the first serves go in, wins 71% of those points, 62% of those second serve points, 30 winners against 14 unforced errors. He just kept making that extra ball, kept expanding, uh, extending the rally, kept stretching Karatev from one side to the other. And it's just Novak Djokovic did what he does. And he just broke Karatev down. And I, I again, for Karatev, He's really freaking good. And you can tell the athleticism's there, the movement's there, the first serve as a weapon is there. He can do a lot of things well. Not a big weakness in his game, you know, where it's like, oh, how am I going to beat him? Just play to the backhand or get him stretched moving. No, he can do a lot of things really well. Just Djokovic can do them all better. And I think that was reflected in the result today. He didn't really have a way to hurt Djokovic easily, particularly given the fact that his first serve wasn't landing, excuse me, at as high of a clip as it was earlier in the match. 
So Djokovic is going to Djokovic, and again, now he's got the chance to win his ninth Australian Open title. What is that, Grand Slam number 18 it would be for him, or 19 in the books? And obviously, it feels like Nadal's still got at least one or two French Opens in him, so want to narrow the gap as quickly as possible. Uh, But Djokovic played his best match of the tournament in that he just took care of business. There was no funny business outside of that game. He got broken. You know, outside of, I should really say, the last three games of the second set, there was no funny business from start to finish. He was in control, and he just played efficient tennis. He played Novak Djokovic tennis. And the most important thing for him now is he gets two days of rest before that men's final between either Medvedev or Tsitsipas. And he's going to need them both, particularly if it's Medvedev, because that match obviously will be a track meet. But no, for Aslan Karatsev, I mean, you talk about a guy who has jumped in the live rankings, goes from about number 111 in the world all the way up to number 42. And if you're the 27-year-old Russian, that means paychecks this year. You're going to not have to worry about the matches you're scheduling. You're not going to have to play challengers the rest of the season. You can go play 250s, 500s, Masters level events. You're going to get into the main draw of every Grand Slam. You already banked 800,000 pre-tax dollars with uh, this Australian Open run. You're living pretty. And I mean, again, this Australian Open run was the culmination of an incredible 2020 challenger season. That can't be emphasized enough for Karatsev. And I think we all know who Aslan Karatsev is now. And, you know, he's a name we'll hopefully be able to get familiar with moving forward throughout the rest of, or continue to get familiar with throughout the rest of this 2021 season. With that in mind, want to quickly preview tonight's Medvedev Tsitsipas matchup because, of course, I know there are other really fun matches going on across the tennis world. There's a really fun Buzkova uh, final tonight in the WTA Melbourne against Kasatkina. There's some really, really fun challenger matches in store for tomorrow in, uh, you know, Sabathville versus Serendolo, Cam Ickle versus Jensen Brooksby. Shout out to you, Jensen, by the way, on the big victory. And then Musetti versus Golbus. Those are all in uh, challenger uh, quarterfinal matches. Uh, but again, we want to focus on the Australian Open here. We'll catch up on all all the non-Australian Open matchups either this weekend or sometime next week. Medvedev Tsitsipas should be really, really fun. And of course, you look for Daniil Medvedev. He's now won, I think, 19 straight matches. Maybe it's even one more than that. And, you know, you look for him. He's dropped two sets this entire tournament. They both came to Filip Krajinovich in the third round of this tournament. You look at the names he's beaten during his win streak. It's not like it's fluff 250 events for him. No, it's the Zverevs, Djokovic's, Nadal teams of the world who he's consistently beating up on. And, you know, the first serve for him during this win streak. He's won 79.8% of his first serve points. He's 29-6 and six overall, 29-4 and four on hard courts in his last 52 weeks. And I mean, on hard courts, he's won over 80% of his first serve points. Meanwhile, for Stefano Tsitsipas, he's 28-10. and 10. And I mean, those 10 losses, Nadal, Team, Umber, Dimitrov, Djokovic, Rublev, Sinner, Chorich, uh, Raonic, and Djokovic again. Do you I don't think he, you know, the Dimitrov loss, maybe the Umber loss, okay, was 7-6-6-7-7-6. Maybe he wants those matches back, but this is a guy playing the best tennis of his career, as he should be, as he's on the rise. And he's won 75.5% of his first serves and 583 of his second serves and held 88.2% of the time over these past uh, 52 weeks of play for himself. And he's broken 22% of the time. And so, you know, he's breaking, I mean, opponents 22 0.6% of the time. So 
He's playing outstanding tennis as well, and this should be a really, really fun match. You know, the career head-to-head for them, Medvedev 5-1 and one in their careers, although Tsitsipas did win their last matchup, which was the 2019 round robin at the World Tour Finals. That was, I believe, you look at the scoreline there, 7-6-6-4-4. Tsitsipas, they've played once at a Grand Slam. It was a four-set win for Medvedev in the 2018 U.S. Open second round. But obviously, these guys are completely different players even since they last played in 2019. And the thing that I just keep coming back to is, of course, three out of five sets physically, you always give the advantage to Medvedev, particularly given that Tsitsipas is coming off of a five-set mentally and physically draining matchup against Rafael Nadal. I just think also from a matchup perspective, Daniil Medvedev has the thing you need most when you're playing Stefano Tsitsipas, and that's a big first serve, which he can just pepper in to that Tsitsipas backhand. And you look in their matchups, Medvedev has averaged a win percentage of, I want to say, on the first serve, a 70, uh, he's only made 55% of his first serves, but he's won 79% of those first serve points. He's held 85% of the time. Now, he's only broken Tsitsipas 22% of the time, which means Tsitsipas passes at, you know, a 78% hold percentage, which isn't far off of Medvedev. Tsitsipas is winning 75.5% of his first serve points against Medvedev. So they're both having success with the first serve as they always do, but it's just a matchup standpoint. Medvedev's going to throw different spins at Tsitsipas, different angles, and then that big first serve to prevent him from finding his rhythm and playing the attacking tennis he wants to play. And I think that's going to force Tsitsipas to, you know, get over aggressive to start seeking out opportunities to move forward that aren't necessarily naturally made in the rallies and you know the kiss of death when you're playing Daniil Medvedev is when you give him the opportunity for a two-shot pass and you know that first passing shot he dips at your feet the second one he puts away I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to do that against Stefano Tsitsipas and so I'm leaning towards Medvedev winning the match in three to four sets in four sets really I think Tsitsipas is going to take a tiebreaker set I just think the way he competes, his aggression. Uh, obviously, he's too good to lose this sort of match in straight sets unless he has dead legs. I also think, you know, if the match gets to a fifth set, I probably lean Tsitsipas just by a game style. I think Tsitsipas, because he's the aggressor, because he'll keep Medvedev on the back foot, uh, you want to be the aggressor when things start to get tight. But I think Medvedev wins this match. I think three out of five sets beating him on a hard court is maybe the second toughest, third toughest question you can ask of any player outside of beat Djokovic on a hard court and beat Nadal on a clay court. He's been that good of late. Give me Medvedev to take the match. But again, I am expecting some outstanding tennis as well. And of course, we'll recap that match and preview Saturday or Friday night, Saturday night, whatever it is, final uh, Friday night on the East Coast, Saturday's final in Australia for the women on tomorrow's mini break podcast with tennis abstracts. Jeff Sackman, of course, if you have missed anything from the past two weeks of the Australian Open, you missed any of our coverage of the College Tennis National Indoors, or just need to catch up on the action in general, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the about any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. And of course, for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, go check out at Cracked Rackets. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, Inside Out, and The Sideline Podcasts. But with that in mind, 
for my wonderful super producers, Fleeger and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.